Hello and welcome to Rad Chat. So we're here at OPC with Andrew Gabriel. So Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello. I'm a patient, um, so I'm a prostate cancer patient, but I do a lot of support of men with prostate cancer and I help run some uh, support groups, uh, prostate cancer support groups. And something that I've done quite a bit of over the last uh, few years is talking about hormone therapy because I was a hormone therapy patient and there wasn't an awful lot of information given, given to me or, or patients I talked to about hormone therapy in advance. So I, I kind of went off and learned about it for myself. And then I discovered this was really quite useful for talking to other patients. So I've done a, a lot of sessions talking to patients, somewhere around about 700 patients have, wow. have joined these sessions over the last couple of years. They started at Mount Vernon Hospital as half-day workshops. I'm afraid COVID put the end to that. So then turned into Zoom sessions presenting to uh, local support groups around the country. Um, and I've done a few of those sessions for clinicians now as well. Uh, one at uh, Sheffield Hallam University as part of their MSc in prostate cancer care and one at the session here yesterday uh, for uh, clinicians who, who wanted to come and listen to me talk about my experience of hormone therapy but with a particular emphasis on the areas that are just not covered, the, the things that we're not told that we really need to know about in order to come out the other end of the hormone therapy without significant damage to the body, which um, you know, does happen unless you look after certain aspects. And the, the really key ones there relate to like sexual function, because you, you can't go for like two or three years without an erection and expect that those will ever work again. You need to actually take active measures to, to protect that part of your body. And that's not something that, that's really ever covered with patients when they enter into hormone therapy. So it, it was great to talk to clinicians yesterday. If, if I take you back to when you were first told by a clinician, what yeah. did they say, if you can remember? So before you got into the advocacy work and now you're yes. explaining it to them, what did yes. they tell you? So that's really, that's an interesting question because I, I kind of knew that I was going to go on to hormone therapy, so I'd gone and read around the subject. Was and that I, your only treatment? No, no, I had uh, radiotherapy as well. Right, okay, thank you. But, um, that, that's well described and you go through um, a process of giving consent and giving all the details. But actually, if you talk to patients who've gone through at the other end, they always say the hormone therapy was much more significant treatment than the radiotherapy. Right. And yet nobody went through that side of things. So yes, I, I kind, I'd gone off and read some research papers around it because I wanted to teach myself about it. So when the consultant sort of said to me, oh, we're going to start you on hormone therapy, it didn't say anything about side effects or anything so I, I I kind of asked the question although I knew what the answer was so, so what are the side effects of that I said oh your penis will get shorter and that was it <laughs> right okay well that's a conversation starter isn't it yeah um, or a well, conversation well, well yeah. ender I mean yeah you, you can kind of tell when you talk to a clinician they're perhaps not happy about talking about that you get like two or three word right. response and that's it um, and the particular thing you talked about is an issue, but it's something you can do something about if somebody tells you what you need to do. So there's this very much use it or lose it att yeah. attitude to that. But no, that wasn't mentioned at all. It was just that one thing and that was it. Oh my gosh. But that's, that's, you know, that's more than most patients get. Because most patients would probably not ask that question even, and, and so don't get told anything about it really. In the support groups that you 
you work with. Yeah. Is that a similar story from all the people you've met? Yes. Um, it's very... Uh, so I speak to a lot of people, both in support groups and doing one-to-one -one support, who are either on hormone therapy, or in some cases have come out the other end of it, and now got their testosterone back and their libido back, and find that things don't work because nobody told them that they had to look after that side of their body while they were on the hormone therapy. So, so yes, what do patients need to do? You know, you're, you're talking yeah. to patients who are about to embark on hormone therapy. Yes. What do you suggest? Well, so there's a whole set of things. The, the number one thing I say to a patient who's on hormone therapy is you need to treat exercise as mandatory. Right. Because exercise, there's a whole load of side effects from hormone therapy most of which exercise really help alleviate. E even things where that might not be obvious, like fatigue. Um, I've got a wonderful quote that I stole from a patient, actually, and that is, as I do the exercise, I feel the fatigue drain away. Right. So it means that when you go to bed at night, you might be genuinely tired and you sleep well, and then that really helps with fatigue. But, but actually, even during the day, when you've done your exercise, you feel a lot less fatigued. But then things like, um, the, you know, as I was talking about preservation of, of sexual function, to, to quote um, an ED clinic nurse I talked to quite early on, she said the mantra is use it or lose it. Yeah. Now while you're on hormone therapy, most guys, about 80% of guys can't get erections anymore, naturally. So you need to t do something active about that. That means you need to go and get yourself some PDE5 inhibitors that are better known as things like Viagra and Cialis or sildenafil and tadalafil. So you need to talk to your clinicians about being prescribed that. If that doesn't work for you, which it might not, if your libido is really low, then perhaps using a vacuum pump. These things are not enjoyable things while you're on hormone therapy because yeah. you've got no libido, but they're just things that you need to get into the routine of. And men that do that well will say, oh, I'd use a vacuum pump you know, while I'm shaving in the morning or something. Right. Or I'd, you, know, you get into the routine, it's like brushing your teeth. It's, but that protects your body so that when you come out the other end of hormone therapy, if you're lucky enough to do that, that part of your body still works. And if you're unfortunate and you're gonna be on lifelong hormone therapy, some of this is also still important. So I talked to quite a lot of men who are on that in that situation, and perhaps after three or four years, sort of penis has shrunk to the point where they can't stand and pee at a toilet or right. a urinal. Um, and again, just using a pump or something to keep that part of your body working so that you, know, you can still use it in that way is really, you know, that's important to, to many guys. But people don't go through this. And, and particularly with men who are on lifelong hormone therapy, I think there's a, there's a big feeling of, you know, what can I do for this patient? You know, it's, that's much less obvious. You don't have that light at the end of the tunnel but there are still things that you can do to help keep your body in, in good shape. And exercise, again, is really important in, you know, for those patients. So with, with the hormone treatment, obviously you've talked about how it can affect you as a yeah. person, but what about the people around you? So partners, loved well, that, ones? Well, that's friends. really important. And prostate cancer is very much a, a couple's disease. So you can often end up in a situation where when, when the patient and partner as well is told about the cancer, they, they've both got worries, they're both, and, and they're both worried for the other other member of the partnership. And you can end up with them not, they, they can bottle up worries that they won't share because they don't want yeah. to um, frighten the, the other, and, and that works both ways around. So you can quickly in, reach a situation where 
the patient and the partner have stopped communicating well with each other. And I, I do put up a slide, which is an, an exercise that couples can do in that respect, which is to go away and write some questions down for your partner. You know, what, in what way has prostate cancer affected you? Um, what is it that we do um, that keeps us close together that you want to make sure that we carry on doing? You know, what would you like to do that we don't do? And you can go away and write these down privately and then the two of you both do this separately and can, can bring these back together. And it's a kind of a tool that helps break down this barrier that, that, that is often gets in, gets in the way. And that, that's really, you know, that's quite useful. But, you know, a, a partner will, will be worrying perhaps, you know, about losing their, you know, their spouse. Um, you know, the, the, there are lots of worries. And if you look at... You know, support groups are really useful for the patient and I always advocate that a patient gets involved in a support group. And unfortunately, very few patients ever get to hear about support groups. And you don't really understand why that is. Hospitals tell us that they always tell the patients about support groups. But when patients come and find us, they say, no, the hospitals never mention the support group. We found you on Google or something. I think sometimes as well, <laughs> patients get told at the wrong time. Oh, yes. So they get their diagnosis and yes. then they're told, oh, there's a support group. But yeah. Once you've had that diagnosis, no, no. nothing else That's goes right. into your head. It's and often like it's in a leaflet in a pack that yeah. goes out with a di- you know, yeah. nobody reads all those magazines. You know, that's not what's on your mind at that yeah. moment. But uh, there are also support groups for partners, and that can be really useful because that enables partners to get together and share. Without the patient, you can talk about things that you know that are common concerns between partners. So the effect on families, yeah, is very pronounced. Um, in that sense. Can I ask Andrew, yeah. how are you coping now? Have you got long-term side effects from the treatment that you've had? So I'm finished treatment now and my testosterone's come back and I'm going through puberty mark two, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is amusing. <laughs> um, I do have one late onset side effect, so I do have rectal bleeding from the, from the radiotherapy. Um, in my case, it has no impact on my quality of life because it's painless, it doesn't cause incontinence, so it's, it's not an issue. I know people who, who do have it worse than that, but it's, it's not that common a, a side effect, so it's not something you necessarily expect you'll get. But I, yeah, I had a consultation quite recently with my consultant, and, and one of my comments to him was, at this point I almost not know that anything had been done. Right. And that is not at all what I imagined at the outset of the treatment. You you just think, you know, how much of me is still going to work? What what issue is going to be? But, you know, he, he grinned and he said, well, that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> but I have to say, Andrew, is that because you were an autonomous, educated patient who went out and saw the advice? I'm sure it is because, you know, I'm lucky everything still works. I know that you know, radiotherapy can have late onset effects. I could lose some some functionality, but um, that you know, I'm far enough down the line that the probability that is diminishing now. But absolutely, the fact that I went out and learned about it, um, I think, was really key. And I, you know, I disc- in my reading around, I discovered that so breast growth is another factor for radiotherapy. And I started to get the, the signs of breast growth quite early on, and I knew to go and ask for tamoxifen. But nobody ever mentioned that to me. And I talk with guys who just think that, you know, breast growth and painful nipples is part of radiotherapy they have to put up with. 
But that's another thing. If you don't tackle that quite early on, you come out the other end with you know some sizable breasts that you can't do anything with at that point other than having like breast reduction surgery. And, and that's something else that for a large number of men would be avoidable if they were you know, told in advance this might happen, come and talk to us if it does. You know, we've got options like tamoxifen or perhaps a radiotherapy blaster breast buds or, you know, all of those things are, are there, but men don't know. So when this does start to happen to them, they don't know that there's anything they can do to, to come and, yeah. you know, address that. I think that's quite important. You kind of touched on some already, but what would be some top tips for people listening to take away? Um, I think really top tip is do get involved in a support group. You learn an awful lot from other men. Uh, you can ask things of other men that you perhaps want to know, but uh, to give you an example of things that come up in the sessions that I do, perhaps one in four sessions I'll get somebody says, well, you know, at what point am I going to lose my body hair? I've heard this happens on hormone therapy. And you know, to some guys that's an example of something that's really important to them. It's part of who they are. But if you're sitting across the table from your consultant who's sitting, you know, who's just told you've got cancer and, and is trying to save your life, that somehow doesn't seem like a, an appropriate question. But it's the sort of thing you can yeah. talk about with other patients. Um, and again, things like you know, problems with sexual function, which men are not great at talking about. But if you go along to a support group and you discover the other men are already talking about these things that are, are an issue for you, it's much easier to open up. And sometimes much easier than it is to a clinician. So, yeah, support support groups I think are really really important. Far too few men ever find them or come along to one. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. We will make sure we post this and also link to lots of support groups yes. um, to hopefully allow people to go out and find more information. Okay. If you go and look at Tackle's um, web page, it's got a tool there for finding support groups near you. So. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank right. you. Cheers. Thank you very much.